the story of Pentecost is in the second chapter of Acts. And in this chapter, uh, Peter, who preaches the sermon after the event, uh, quotes Joel, which I think is very significant, and I want to speak a little bit about that in my talk, in my sermon. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, and I invite you and ask you to listen, for this is God's word to us. Now when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages or tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing or pious Jews from every nation under the heavens. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, bewilderment because each of one heard them speaking in his own language. So these are people on the outside. Utterly amazed, they said, are not all these people who speak in Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya that are near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jew and converts to Judaism, people from Crete, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language or tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun and said, they're just drunk. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. My fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken about in the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and the signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you grant our hearts understanding, discernment, and wisdom so that what we hear might be applied in truth to our lives. In thy name. Amen. I think perhaps Pentecost is potentially the most modern of all church Christian holidays. It has the potential, at least if you read it on a kind of surface level, to be everything that a modern church seems to want. It has excitement. We're all about excitement. It has fun. I mean, who could not like tongues of fire, wind blowing? It has adventure. It has noise. It seems to be kind of informal. Everything that 
a modern people seem to think is good. Excitement, adventure, noise, fun. I can almost hear Peter uh, when the crowd on the outside saying, like, what's going on? Instead of preaching, Peter would come out and say, oh, this was so cool. And then explain the tongues and the wind and all that stuff. But I think if we look at it, just scratch the surface a little bit, we'll see there's a whole different thing going on. So let me be blunt. My goal today, you'll tell me if I hit my goal, my goal today is to take away that image, to just kind of destroy your image of Pentecost as being all balloons and noise and dancing and all kind of crazy stuff, to kind of destroy that image and, and show that Pentecost is just the same old stuff. It's just the same, same old story. So that's my goal. So let's look. Scratch the surface a little bit. The first thing that we need to hear is that there's a lot of remaining going on. Uh, Jesus said, I want you to remain in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of remaining going on. So, for example, this is a fairly small group of people that experienced this uh, first Pentecost. Probably just over 100 people all in a gathered together. And, and they're remaining faithful to Jesus. They're remaining faithful to his teachings. Not easy, by the way. In John chapter 6, um, some of the people are saying, uh, what you're saying, Jesus, is hard. Who can accept this? And a lot of the followers of Jesus left. It was too hard to remain in the teaching of Jesus. And so uh, Jesus said, uh, are you all going to leave also? And Peter stood up and said, Jesus, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. But it's hard to remain in those words sometimes. So they're remaining in his teaching. They're remaining through all the suffering that Jesus experienced in the Holy Week. They remain through all their self-doubt. You all understand self-doubt, don't you? And clearly the disciples did. Peter was the one who denied knowing. Remember that? Judas gave up altogether. Thomas doubted. Even after the resurrection, some of them doubted. And so that they remained with Jesus through doubt and self-doubt, through the crucif crucifixion, through the burial, after the resurrection and the ascension. And now Jesus says, remain, just remain in Jerusalem. So there's a lot of remaining going on, which is not exciting and adventuresome and noisy and red balloons and all that. So they remain it together. And, and the second thing I want to kind of focus on is not only do they remain, they're retaining so many of the old traditions. They're retaining the old, old ways. Three things in particular. First of all, they're worshiping together on Pentecost. Pentecost for them is not the reception of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost for these first century Jews is the celebration of the first fruits, so when the crops just start coming up, and then it kind of morphed into the uh, celebration of the, of the Old Testament or the law, the Torah, the scriptures. So they celebrate that. And, and so what do you do on Pentecost? You, you worship. You just come together and you hear the word and you pray. Not really exciting. It, they're coming together to retain that old way of worship. The second thing we know they're doing is retaining the hours of prayer. If you just look ahead to Acts chapter 3, uh, what we read, and we kind of overlook this sometimes, but it was the ninth hour. That's how it starts, Acts chapter 3. It was the ninth hour, and uh, Peter and John went to the temple. 
what do you do with the ninth hour? The ninth hour is 3 o'clock. If you start at 6 in the morning, by the way, you understand they don't have Iron Man, right? So the sunrise, let's say it's 6, so the third hour is 9, sixth hour is noon, and such, okay? So what do you do at the, at the uh, third hour? You pray. What do you do at the sixth hour? You pray. What do you do at the ninth hour? You pray. In other words, they're retaining those old habits, those old customs, the old traditions, like in the Arab world they do today, you keep the hours of prayer. So they're keeping the old, retaining the old ways of worship. They're retaining the old ways of prayer. It's 3 o'clock, I guess we're to pray now. And, oh, this is the hard one. They're retaining the old habit of memorizing scripture. When Peter stands up and preaches, he quotes Joel. I am absolutely certain God just didn't say, now you know Joel. <laughs> Peter had memorized this, like the 23rd Psalm, like second chapter of Joel, like Isaiah chapter 6, like 1 Corinthians 13, what we would do, or John 3, 16, so that when the appropriate time comes, you know that mental Rolodex, you just have it there. So Peter could come up with Joel chapter 2. So they're keeping these old kind of boring ways of, of worship, and prayer time and memorizing scripture. I gotta tell you, I, I do have an agenda here. I'm getting a little nervous. I'm reading these articles and books and such about church growth and new church development. And one of the things I'm perpetually, continually reading is that what you do is to go in the culture, go in wherever you're going, and then ask the people what they want. And what do people tell you they want? Well, we don't want that doctrine stuff. You know, we don't want this. And we don't want to be preached at, says the preacher. And uh, we want to be informal. You know, we just want to sit around, drink coffee, and share our ignorance. I mean, share our thoughts, you know. And, and, but where's truth if we're just sitting around chatting about things? And so they're retaining the things that are essential. Not so exciting. Not so adventuresome. No balloons here. No dancing. The worship and the prayer and, and the memory of Scripture. And then, as they're all gathered together in the same place, probably about 120 of them, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now this might seem kind of exciting, if I can use the word. It's, it's like a wind that's blowing, or at least the sound of a wind, but there's no movement. It's like the sound of a wind. And it's like tongues of fire, like tongues of fire, but there's no heat, except maybe the passion of, of feeling the Spirit within you. And the Spirit comes and lights and stays and, and stays there. We know where the Spirit is. The Spirit's with the church. It never left. And, and they speak in a variety of different languages and tongues. Now, let me pause a minute. I absolutely acknowledge that this is miraculous. But let's remember, just to remember, that first, cent first century people, virtually all first century people living in Jerusalem, and this is not just surmising, this is the way it was. They were at least trilingual, at least. Peter, for example, would have spoken Aramaic as Jesus. He would have read Hebrew because that was the scriptures. And he would have written in Greek because that's what everybody wrote in. And for Peter, or for Paul, for example, probably there was a fourth language because he was raised up in Turkey, what we call now Turkey. So these people are at least trilingual, probably four tongues, four languages. So they all start speaking in different languages. But the significance of this is that now they are equipped the Spirit of the living God equips them, and it's the exact opposite of Genesis 11, which you probably know. In Genesis 11, 
uh, God looks at the people who are all speaking the same language, and God says, oh, you know, uh, with this, what kind of evil can they do? So he confuses the language. Now what we have is the people have the one story, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because remember, they remained through all the teachings, suffering, crucifixion, resurrection. Now they know the gospel, they're equipped, and now they can, with one language, the language of the gospel, go out and speak the truth to all the world. So the experience of Pentecost happens. Now there's people on the outside, and they hear what's going on. It's exciting and noisy, and everybody's shouting and such. And the people on the outside ask, what's going on? And by the way, some of them make fun, and a lot of them say they're probably drunk. You see, this is a very modern passage. Not only is it noisy and adventuresome, but why else would people be noisy and having fun if, it, if alcohol wasn't involved? I mean, that's a very modern idea. So Peter stands up, and Peter does not say, oh, this is so cool. What does Peter do? He preaches a sermon. This is just old stuff. And so the first thing he does is explain what happened. The people aren't drunk. You know, we're pious Jews. We don't do that stuff. This is what happened. The Holy Spirit came, and then he quotes Joel, which I'll get back to in a minute. In other words, he applies it to the scripture. And then just like Joel does, Peter says, same old stuff, you too can participate. All you need to do is repent, which means turn away from the things that you're doing that are opposed to the ways of God. Turn to the Lord, and the promise is for you. And the promise is bigger and better and totally unpredictable. It's better than anything you can imagine. Now, let's go back to Joel. When was the last time you read Joel? <laughs> Have you ever read Joel? Year of the Bible, a couple of years ago. Let me remind you what Joel is about. Joel, which, by the way, Peter had a passage of that memorized. Joel is the second book of the, uh, book of the Twelve, the Minor Prophets, last section of the Old Testament. Perhaps the most literary of the books. It's very well, tightly written, a lot of metaphor. The situation that's going on is that there's a plague of locusts that have come into the land. It, they're devouring locusts, consuming locusts, they're wiping out everything, it's tragedies going on everywhere. Joel the prophet says, the reason why this is happening is it's God's punishment on your disbelief. Now you might have some issues with that, but that's what Joel's saying. But what Joel is saying is if you repent, if you turn back, not only will this disaster be relieved, but, but, the promise of God is greater than anything you could ever imagine. And what will happen if you repent is that the Holy Spirit will descend on all flesh and your young men and your old women, or your young men and your young women will dream dreams, your old men and your old women will have visions, and the Spirit of God will descend upon all flesh. Now, let me suggest that if you read Joel chapter 2, uh, the scent of the Holy Spirit, young men, young women will dream dreams. There is no possible way that you could see in that Pentecost. Remember, Pentecost doesn't happen without the whole of the gospel. The coming of Jesus, the Son of God, teaching of Jesus, crucifixion of Jesus, uh, ascent, uh, res resurrection of Jesus, ascension, pouring out of the Holy Spirit. If you read Joel 2, 
you cannot see, foretell, prophesy, or predict Pentecost. The only way to see that is to experience the grace that God gives and then look back and say, oh, that's what Joel was talking about. And the only way for us to do that is to have the scripture already there, to memorize. So in other words, our task is not to be loud and excited and have red balloons and all kinds of crazy stuff that we think might have happened at Pentecost. Our task is just the old, old story. We are to come together and worship. We are to pray regularly because it delights the heart of God when we speak with him regularly. We are to memorize scripture, not so that we can see into the future. I know there's a whole industry of, you know, people who can tell the future and said, that's just silly. We are to memorize scripture for all kinds of reasons, one of which is that we can reflect at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of any experience and say, oh, that's what God was talking about in Psalm 23, or Genesis 1, or Isaiah 6, or 1 Corinthians 13, or all those great passages, Ephesians 2, that we reflect, oh, that's what God was telling you. So we are to worship, and we are to pray, and we are to memorize the scriptures, and we are to be ready to go into the world and witness, speak to the good news, the truth of what we know in the way we live and the things we speak. And that's what Pentecost is about. You see, it's not about some exciting experience. That's for God to give. That's not for us to conjure up. Ours is holy obedience. That's what Pentecost is about for us. To worship, to pray, to read and apply the scriptures, and to witness to our Lord Jesus Christ in the way we live and the things that we do. Have I achieved my objective? Is that really the same old stuff? It's supposed to be the same old stuff, because it doesn't change. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that the same old story is the same old story, and it's good. It's just good. And we thank you that you have called us into the goodness, just the goodness of this story. And that just as the people of Pentecost came together, so we come together. And that same spirit, your spirit, your breath, is still upon us, and we are the same people, and we love you so. In thy name, amen.